The rest of us, if we will stand as we affirm our trust in Scripture, we'll say together, all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. This morning we are finishing up our series, Come Hear a Story, on the parables of Jesus. It has been such a joy and pleasure for me to preach this past month. I have learned a lot from digging into God's Word and then attempting to communicate it to you guys in helpful ways. I am even more convinced that the only authority that we can stand on is the authority of God's Word. I've liked preaching, but I've also felt the weight of preaching. And the weight is not primarily on my ability, but the charge is to faithfully communicate what God has taught in his word. I am looking forward to Pastor Sergey coming back next, not just Pastor Sergey, all of the Marchenkos, but um, for Pastor Sergey coming back next week, um, not because I don't want to preach, but because I'm excited to hear him preach. Um, it's not the preacher that makes God's word powerful. It is God's word that penetrates the hearts and souls and minds of people. That's not something a person can do, only the Lord. I am here, and we are wholly dependent on God to move and to work. It's been my goal to be faithful to him in this, in this past month, and by God's grace, he will speak to me and through me this week as well. Uh, as we've listened to Jesus tell, our, tell us stories this past month, um, he has said, if we have ears to hear, if we have eyes to see, if we have hearts to hear and to be turned and to be healed. Jesus has been showing us how the world works. We started with the parable of the soils, where Jesus explains why certain people respond to him and other people don't. The problem is not with the power of the seed or with the power of the gospel, but of our hearts. We looked and we heard a story of how God's grace goes out to the sinner and to the self-righteous alike, and how we are all in desperate need of his grace. We heard a story that challenged our questions about who is our neighbor and instead asked us to ask how can we be a neighbor and to love our neighbor faithfully. Last week, through Jesus' stories, we heard the good news and sombering news, sobering news, that Jesus is coming back and only those who are in him, who have placed their trust in him, will be with him and, and others will be thrown into the fire. Today, we're going to be looking at two short parables, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. So if you have ears to hear, let's hear what Jesus has to say for us this morning. I'll read our stories coming from Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sell all, sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, 
went and sold all that he had and bought it. So my outline is this. First, we will look at God as our treasure. Then we will look at the joy of giving everything up for that treasure. And then finally, we will ask and attempt to answer the question of, what do I do when I don't treasure God? My sermon in a sentence is this, is that God is our greatest treasure and highest joy. God is our greatest treasure and our highest joy. The basic teaching in these parables is simple. They're three short verses. Just like the treasure and the pearl were worth more than everything that the man and the merchant had, the kingdom of God is worth more than everything we have. The only reason a man would sell everything he has to buy a field and look at a treasure is because the treasure is better than everything he has. The only reason that a merchant would sell everything he has for one pearl is because the pearl is worth more than everything he has. We can and should give up everything we have in order to get God. Because he is better than everything that we have, and he is better than everything that we are, and because he makes us better than everything we are. That's it. We can go home. Three short verses and a simple explanation. Jesus is better and is worth more than everything. But you know that's not how it works. That's why you laughed. This simple truth is profound, and it takes a lifetime of implementation. First, let's look at Jesus as our treasure. How do we have this kind of confidence? The kind of confidence that the man and the merchant had to sell everything that they had in order to get the treasure or the pearl? How do we have this kind of confidence that Jesus is better than everything that the world has to offer? There are so many things that vie for our attention and for our love. There are so many things that we hold on to. How do we know that the kingdom of God is worth it? Well, we must see Jesus for who he is. We must see him as beautiful. Thomas Chalmer says it like this. He said, besides the world... Scripture places before the eye of the mind him who made the world and with the peculiarity, which is all its own, that in the gospel do we so behold God as that we may love God. It is there in the gospel and there only where God stands revealed as an object of confidence to sinners and where our desire after him is not chilled into apathy." It is only in the gospel, and it is in the gospel first, that we begin to see and treasure Jesus. These parables come right after the explanation of the parable of the weeds. And they come right before the parable of the nets, which both of them have a similar point. One of the points is that Jesus is coming back, and that there will be judgment. And only those who are in Jesus will be saved. We must see Jesus as who he is. And as we see him, and as we see his perfection, we see his beauty, and we see his glory, his glory is terrifying. His glory reveals our weakness, our brokenness, our rebellion, our sin. When Israel saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai, and he spoke to them, 
They said, this is too much. We can't handle God speaking to us. We need a mediator. And God said, you're right. You do need a mediator. My glory is too great for you. Just as God sent a mediator then, God sent Jesus to mediate now. When we see God's glory, we rightly see our sin. We recognize our sin as wickedness. Over and over and over in Scripture, people get a glimpse of God or see who Jesus is, and the reaction is, I am sinful. I am a man of unclean lips. I am not worthy to be in your presence or to untie your sandals. When we see Jesus, we see our sin. And this is a gift from God. It's grace. But if we stop there, then we're crushed. To have a knowledge of our sin, but to be unable to do anything about it, is devastating. And eventually, when Jesus comes back, we will be rightly judged and punished. But here is where the treasure comes in. Here is where we see Jesus as beautiful for the first time. Jesus says, I know your sin is great, but my grace is greater. I will take your sin from you. I will die the death that you rightfully deserve. And not only that, but I will give you my life. I will make you what you were meant to be. I will give you abundant life and joy beyond imagination. See, Jesus gave up everything for us. Jesus left the glory of heaven. The unlimited limited himself. The maker of everything, dependent on no one, became a helpless baby. Last week, as we dedicated babies, and as we look around and as we hear them coo and cry as, through our service, we are well aware that, that those babies would die without their parents. They're not able to take care of themselves even a little bit. They can't feed themselves, they can't change themselves, or clean themselves, or go anywhere, or move. Right? Babies don't have control of their body for a long time. Jesus took on this kind of helplessness, this kind of dependency. Why? Why would the one who creates everything limit himself to where he becomes hungry, the one who never sleeps, to become tired? John tells us it's because he loved. Because he loved the world. God gave his son so that we can know him and have life. Jesus loves us, his children, his people. He gives up everything because he treasures us. I want to share two stories. One about a man who saw Jesus and didn't treasure him. And one about a man who saw Jesus and did treasure him. 
Both of these stories are true stories. They come from Scripture. You've probably heard them before. The first is from Matthew 19, the story of the rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to them, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these have I kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus came to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, or brother, or sister, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. The rich man loved his wealth more than he loved Jesus. He treasured the wrong thing. Jesus here extended to him the opportunity to, to follow him, to treasure him, to be with him. Jesus showed grace and love. But the rich man loved the wrong thing. His desires were misplaced. Jesus explains to his disciples that he's offering a better treasure. The rich man's treasure eventually would be lost. Maybe he would lose it in a bad business plan, or maybe not. Maybe he would keep his wealth all of his life and, and die a very wealthy man. But eventually, he will lose his treasure. Jesus says, I offer a better treasure, a treasure that does not end. He says to his disciples, you will be with me in glory. And even more than that, even in this life, whatever you give up for my sake, you will get back greater. You will get back better. How do we know? How can we be confident? Because Jesus gives everything for us, we can be confident of his love for us. 
And because he offers a better treasure, we can be confident that whatever we give up is not really loss. Instead, we get something greater. The second story is from Luke 19, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, and he gave up his treasure, he gave up his wealth, he gave up his wickedness, and he found the kingdom of God. Why would a man give up all that power and all that wealth? Because Jesus is greater. Jesus demands that we give up everything. Jesus demands that we sell everything. We must bring every aspect of our lives under submission to his lordship. Every aspect of our lives. I want to help us think through that a little bit. I want to give us some categories to help us think through these in in our lives. And these categories are, are not, don't cover everything, but hopefully they will help. As we think about giving up in our joy for the sake of getting something better. These are things that we all have to do. Um, The first is, and it's a very pointed one now, but, but probably often, the first category is our sexuality, that we must give up. Our world says that our sexuality is our own. No one can tell you who to love or how to love or when to love. We are told by the world and the devil and our flesh that if a man wants to love another man or a woman wants to love another woman, that's fine and good. We are told that we are free to have sex when we want with who we want. There's no need to be married. Or if you are married and things aren't working out, that's fine. Get a divorce. Move on. You'll be happier. Find someone who does fulfill you. Or maybe we stay in our marriage. We're faithful with our bodies, but we think a little lust won't hurt. Married or single, heterosexual or same-sex attracted, we must all submit our sexuality to God. And when we do, he offers us something better. This is hard for a lot of us to imagine because sex has become such a key issue in our lives that we think that nothing is better. 
But Jesus says, I am better. And if you follow me, if you trust my rule, you will experience greater joy than you can imagine. I don't ask you to give up things for the sake of giving them up. God is the one that created sex and sexuality. God is the one that creates joy. He'll never ask us to give up real joy. Instead, he'll show us what better joy is. We also must be ready to give up our family. Many people are forced to make this choice in a much more vivid way. There are saints that are cut off from their families because of their love for Jesus. More and more, we might be asked to give up parts of Jesus for the sake of family here as well. Several of you know the heartache of having family that thinks Jesus is harmful and doesn't want anything to do with it and wants you to keep Jesus away from the dinner table. Many of you are walking that road well, staying faithful to the love of Jesus and loving your family well. The only reason that you would have such a hard relationship the only reason you would fight for that, the only reason you wouldn't give up just to, to be accepted is because Jesus is better. You know Jesus is better, and you hold fast to him. We are certainly asked to give up our sense of control and our self-autonomy. I think this one sums up all the others. We must give up our autonomy we must give up our right to rule our own lives. We must submit to God's rule. As we do that and as we give up our false sense of control, our own life, and the idea that we get to define who we are, we begin to see that God's rule is far better than our own. It's so easy to believe the lie that we get to define ourselves. We get to choose. Be whoever you want to be. And be it to the fullest extent. Often, we find that doesn't end in happiness. But even if it does end up in some kind of temporary happiness, ultimately, living your own way ends in death. Unless you submit to the rule of God, His authority, it ends in death. There is no other way. Jesus calls you to something better, something more than just this life, something more than following your base desire. He says, come to me. I am better. This is something that we all have to do. Each one of us has to die to self. Sam Alberry, who's a pastor in England, he said this. He said, ever since I've been open about my own experience of homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me. As though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily, without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations— it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. 
And just as the cost is the same for all of us, so too are the blessings. All of us must submit our desires to the Lord. But again, I don't want to focus too much on the giving up. That's a part of the parable. That's a part of the story. The merchant gave up everything to get the pearl. The man gave up everything to get the treasure. But it's to get. It's to get something better. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 16. Jesus then told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The only reason we would give up any of these things that I mentioned, and there's so many more things that I didn't mention, is because Jesus is better. The only reason we would deny ourselves and take up our cross is because there is a better life to be had. There are greater joys to be experienced. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Philippians 3. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is the type of ferocity that we pursue our treasure with. Because our treasure is worth everything. There's nothing that isn't worth giving up to get God. If you had to lose everything in this life and then get God, it would be worth it. Paul says that by any means possible, he talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus' story, our parable, says that in his joy, he goes and sells everything. The treasures of Christ are far greater than any treasure this world has to offer. A famous quote by C.S. Lewis that I'm sure most of us have heard before, but it is still fitting. He says, he says it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Now, I think many of us, or all of us at some point in our lives, we come to a passage like this, 
We hear a sermon like this, and we ask ourselves, we ask ourselves, yeah, that seems great, but that's not where I am. What do I do if I don't treasure Jesus above all else? I know I'm supposed to. Scripture says to, and I trust Scripture, but I don't know how. Or we think to ourselves, I hate this sin that I'm struggling with, but I still struggle with it. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't really love Jesus? What do we do if we want to treasure Jesus but find our affection lacking? Well, we may try to change our desires by showing ourselves that our current desires are not enough. We want to rightly see our sin as wicked and evil and harmful. This is certainly part of the process. When we know the truth about many things, they're no longer tempting, or at least they lose some of their appeal. Many of you know that I have Crohn's disease, and some of you know that one of the triggers for my Crohn's disease, uh, because I've come to your house and you've offered me a delicious steak, is that I can't eat steak. It's, it's one of the sadder things that I experience in Crohn's disease, which tells you I live a pretty good life. <laughs> but I didn't always know that. I didn't always know that I couldn't eat steak. In fact, when um, Beth and I would visit my in-laws, each time my father-in-law would cook me a delicious steak. And it was good, and it was big, and I would eat the whole thing. And then a few hours later... I would feel awful, horrible, to the point that we started asking, and they started asking, like, why do you get sick every time you come to visit us? What's going on? Well, eventually, we figured out that it was steak. My body apparently can't process the thick meat. When I figured that out, it was easy to cut out steak. Why? Because the repercussions were immediate and they were severe. I didn't want to feel awful, so I didn't want to do it. I'd rather eat a burger. Not because a burger is better than steak, but because it doesn't make me feel bad. So knowing what causes harm does help, especially when the consequences are immediate and severe. In fact, I think that this is part of why Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, was not really tempted. Satan offered temptation to him, but Jesus at no point was like, yeah, that makes sense. Satan, that's a good point. Mm, I really could go for some bread. Right? Jesus wasn't really tempted. Why? Because he saw reality. He knew that what Satan was offering wasn't of any value to him. And he knew that what his father was offering was a far surpassing value. So I think that seeing our sin as sin, seeing evil as evil, is certainly part of the equation for helping our desires change. But I don't think that it's all of it. Why? Well, I've seen the ingredients on hot dogs. And I still eat them. I watched the movie Supersize Me. That was a long time ago. 
It shows the, the evils and grossness of fast food. And it's gross. And I still eat fast food. Why? Because I like it. It tastes good. The consequences seem small or aren't immediate. I don't think mere knowledge of what is evil is enough to keep us from it. I think we need something greater. Thomas Chalmers, who I quoted earlier, has a great, I don't know, long essay, I'm not sure, but calls, called The Explosive Power of a New Affection. And he says this in it. He says, We must address to the eye of the mind another object with charm powerful enough to dispossess the first of its influences. So he says, in order to give up something and pursue something else, it's not that just we try to give up the one thing. We look at it as bad, but instead we have to replace our desires with a greater desire for something else. That's his basic premise, that in order to stop loving the world, we must replace it with love for the Lord. If we simply try to not love the world, we will fail. Or we will succeed and be miserable. We are meant to love. We are meant to desire. Our love for God must replace our love for the world. And when it does, the world has no more power over us. This is a premise that, that we all know, or at least we've all seen. The premise being that to gain something to stop one thing, we, we gain a desire for something else and that it naturally stops the other things. When someone discovers a love for music, for playing music, or when someone discovers a love for playing a sport, they give up love for other things. And their behavior begins to change. Not only the desires, but the behavior as well. So for the athlete, Sitting on the couch and eating pizza over and over and over is replaced by training and exercise and practice. For the musician, endless nights of Netflix is replaced with endless hours of practice. Why? It's not because the athlete doesn't like pizza. It's not because the musician doesn't like relaxing. It's because they have a love for something greater than those. They're willing to give up their time, their energy, in order to pursue their love. We've seen it happen. So we need our love for God to replace our love for the world. And when we do, our love for God joyfully causes us to give up everything in order to be with God. But the reality is, is we live in the already and not yet. This is a slow process. In our parable, it happens instantly. Three short verses to tell two stories. One story is one verse. The merchant finds the pearl. He sells his stuff, gets the pearl. However, we don't live in a three-verse story. There is time that passes for most of us between our discovery of Jesus as our treasure 
and then giving him all of ourselves. Our affections affections don't all instantly change. They do change. They change slowly, and they continue to change. The more we look at Jesus, the more we see our sin. The more we see our sin, the worse our sin looks. And we see our need for Jesus. So we look back to Jesus and we see his beauty and we see his grace and we see his love. And we submit more of our life to him. And as we submit more of our life to him, we see that there is more sin in our lives than we thought. And we repeat the process. The key thing in this process is to look to Jesus. To see God for who he is and to treasure him rightly. To do this, we have to get to know him better. We must hear from God. We must let him speak to us. We must be in scripture regularly, daily, deeply. How do we treasure God more? Well, there's an easy way to not treasure him more. Don't spend any time with him. Don't spend time in the Bible. Don't spend time in prayer. Don't spend time in fellowship with his saints. You won't treasure him more that way. But if you do desire to treasure him more, and you find your affections lacking, tell him. Go to him. Ask God to change your heart. We are ultimately powerless to change our own hearts. So ask God to produce in your heart and in your life, love for him. And then pursue him in the ways that he has called you to. Pursue him through his word. Pursue him through prayer. Pursue him through his people. In just a minute, we're going to sing this song. I'm going to read a couple of verses from it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us, and our measureless debt was erased. Before we go to communion, I want to end with this description of Jesus from Colossians 1. I want us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, 
doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. Our treasure is in Jesus. As we come to, com- to the table, come treasuring him. You could come thinking about lots of things, but come thinking of him. Think of his beauty, his incredible love for you, his sacrifice that he gave for us. Think about the joy found in him. Think about the life he offers. Think about your future hope when he comes back. God is infinite and infinitely big, so we can have infinite amount of thoughts about him. So as you come, come thinking of him, come treasuring him. You can come forward and you can take up here, or if you need more time, you can take communion back to your seats. If you're in the balcony, there's communion up there for you. Or we have prepackaged communion in the foyer. If you are unable to come forward but would like to receive communion that way, raise your hand and an elder will bring it before you. Here at Chatham, we practice um, open communion, which means you don't need to be a member here at Chatham. Just a believer in him. Just someone who knows him, who trusts him, who treasures him, who sees your need for him. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. You are beautiful. You gave everything so that we can know you. Lord, you took our sin, my sin. You took it from me, and you died for me. Jesus, change our hearts to love you more. Spirit, reveal yourself to us so that we can see you as our treasure. Show us where we treasure the things of the world over you. Convict us of our sin. But Lord, don't leave us there. Transform our lives to look more like you. Lord, and as we do, that we would go out in joy and others would see you as our treasure and that they would begin to treasure you as well. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us take together.